Hey, miserable bitches. Welcome to your 30-minute manor mystery. On today's episode, we are going to explore the 1962 Alcatraz prison break. Ooh. My name is Cody. My name is Emily. And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. Sitting in the podcast room, about to record an episode. Hey, mama, hey, mama. Your turn. No, I was going to be like, oh, <laughs> Cody's putting away his drumstick. Because you are always, like, jamming out. Jamming, baby, song. jamming. But usually I like a good Cardi or Nikki or Meg Thee Stallion, like, because I got the knees like a boom, 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 baby. Because you have a bubble butt. I you think- like to twerk. Thank you, sweetie pie. All right, guys. Like Emily said, it's a 30-minute manner mystery. But before we get started, um, we posted on the Instagram um, some Q&A. We're going to try to do this weekly. So send in. we're going to post it on Sundays on our Instagram. So that's at Misery Manor Podcast. Or if you don't have Instagram or you're just listening to this on the app and you don't want to do Instagram, you can always email us at miserymanorpodcast at gmail.com. Calm. And basically what we're looking for is but, just questions. You can just ask us anything. Emily, what color is your hair going to be next month? Cody. Um, but put it in the title question. Right, right. So we know. Because we get a lot of emails. So yeah, ask anything. We had some really good emails uh, or really good questions asked uh, this week. So I just picked some of the like most popular ones. And I think th- these are ones good ones to kind of start off with so the first question emily and i'm gonna let you answer this one because (laughs) i think your story is better than mine so they want to know how did we first meet and don't say where we work okay so we met at work um i saw you in the hallway a bunch of times because i'm always running around and like rarely at my desk and i kept seeing this guy and he'd like always smile at me and i was just like what the fuck i i don't know i'm very like you're like like, you're like who's this model i i really was (laughs) i was like who is this gorgeous man and why does he keep smiling at me because we don't know each other and i just would like i'm sure make a rude face and keep walking and then um we were at an event yeah well hold on i smiled at you because Emily does marketing and our departments kind of have to work together. But I also was like, oh my God, who is the girl with the fire crotch hair and fire crotch hair (laughs) and the bajillion tattoos. I love it. So that's why I smiled and she never smiled back. And I was like, well, fuck her. Anyways. Anyway. So I had to go to this event with this girl that I could not stand and she doesn't work there anymore. But I didn't know that Cody was going to be meeting us at the event and we're in the parking lot and the girl's like, we're waiting for this new guy that, um, that we work with. His name is Cody. And she, I just could not stand this girl. And she was like, um, he'll be here soon. No, she was like, his favorite color is pink. If you know what I mean. Oh, and I was like, he likes pink. Like, I don't know. So Cody, flies into the parking garage like 5 30 a.m in his jaguar and i'm like <laughs> okay and i'm probably like good morning everybody yeah so i was like okay out of the two this guy's gonna be my friend for the day 
And so we're at a, it's like a health fair. We're there all day, whatever. And, um, Cody looks at me and, you know, we were making small talk, whatever he goes, Hey, do you want a glass of coffee? And I was like, well, I don't drink coffee or I didn't at the time. So I don't know what the fuck to call it. I just was like, you go a glass of coffee. (laughs) And I was like, well, sorry. I don't know. I just thought it was the funniest thing. And and then then we actually started talking about true crime that day. I, I don't even remember that part. I know our first one that we really talked about was don't fuck with cats. Yes. So I mean, we have only known each other for like, what, three, three years, three years. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to someone else about this today. Like when you meet people in your adult life, mm-hmm. it's different. Like, right. you know, your people when you meet them. Mm-hmm. And so she knew, um, honey, she knew she knows how to pick them. So then I had to apologize for making mean faces at him. And then we went from there. Right. And then the second question um is what is your what is the favorite what is your favorite case that we've done so far okay go mine okay this is one that i've had the had the most fun like researching i guess but i really 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 love the allison botha the survival of allison botha one because a badass woman like holy shit what she went through and just the details of it and some that somebody can come out of that and just be a just so powerful and so strong to this day with kids and everything that she went through. If you haven't listened to that one, go listen to it. I think it's like episode 37 or something like that. That's a wild story. But um, amazing story. And I loved it. Okay. So mine was half survival, half murder. Um, It was Nona. What was her name? Nona something. And then her best friend that died. Shanda? No. We did one with a girl named Nona. Oh my God, Cody. Yes. You wanted to do it forever. She was like, it was her, she like just started dating this guy, the silver toenail polish guy. Oh, oh my God. Why? Holly Dunn. Oh, her name wasn't even Nona. I'm like, who the hell is Nona? Holly Dunn. That's one of my favorites too. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. so sad. I don't know why I can't remember. I always think it's her name is Nona. That's episode three. I loved that episode because you... I don't know. You could just like feel their closeness. Yes. Oh my God. And the I fact almost that cried. she was just like laying there next to the sky that like, it's like one of those things when you meet, just like I said, like when you meet your people, like they didn't know each other for very long, but you knew they had this strong connection. It was almost like they were meant to have that connection. So he had someone that loved him next to him. Right. When he died, oh, you we know? both picked survival stories and we do the <laughs> crazy stories. Well, I mean, he died and it was yeah, awful and exactly. disgusting. I'm but. glad you cleared that up. Cause I'm like, well now I sound like an, who is Nona? Okay. Holly Dunn. There, a case there that... is, but I'm like, we, that's why I said we didn't do that. What was her name though? I don't know. Nona. Something. Why Nona? No, I'm kidding. I don't know. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, yeah. Send us your questions. I will post on the Instagram on Sundays. Send them in. Um, if we didn't get to yours, well, obviously we didn't get to a lot of them. Submit them again. Wild is that I edit all of these. I, for the, for as much as I listen to this podcast because of editing and whatnot, I really don't know a lot of retainers. No, she doesn't. That happens in every day. You don't know directions. You don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) So before we continue, let's just get into this episode because it's supposed to be a 30-minute episode, and now we're going to be pushing 35-40. So here we go. So 
Formerly a military base, Alcatraz Island opened as a federal maximum security prison in 1934. The prison was nicknamed The Rock due to the fact that the prison sits on a 22-acre island about a mile and a quarter away from the city of San Francisco. Because of this, the prison, the prison gained a reputation as being inescapable. So prison operators believed Alcatraz to be escape-proof in America's strongest prison. It really does seem like it would be escape-proof. Oh my God, totally. So I want to paint a picture for you folks listening so you can imagine what the prison looked Shutter like. Island. And the layout of the prison at this time. So Alcatraz is a three-story cell house that included four main cell blocks. So cell block A through D. They had a warden's office, a visitation room, a library, and a barber shop. So, you know, they got to get that little edge up there. So the prison cells typically measured nine feet by five feet and seven feet high. So like a closet. The cells were small and dark and lacked privacy. The cells were furnished with a bed, desk, sink, a toilet on the back wall, and a few items other than a blanket. So at this time, African-Americans were segregated from the other inmates in cell designation due to racism during the Jim Crow era. So cell block D housed the worst inmates. So rapists, murderers, uh, bank robbers, pedophiles, etc. Within the prison, there was also six cells at the end of D block that was named the hole. So prisoners with behavioral problems were sent to these for periods of often brutal punishment, including various um, acts of torture treatment, um, electroshock therapy. Um, they were stripped naked and they were in the cold, starved, beat, etc. These were like for temporary. Right. So just like people who stunts. were right, kind of like a mental ward. Oh, I thought it was like if they misbehaved. Like no, it was these like were like, be oh, behavioral problems or like mental, like people that were lashing out and different, like just oh. causing a ruckus in some way, I thought way, it was like, um, not seclusion, but whenever they have to go to like isolation. Oh, yeah. They, what is it called? Um, maximum security. No, maximum security is, no. Well, I don't know, but we you, we get it. So, so the dining hall and the kitchen extended from the main building and the prison and the staff ate three meals a day. I don't know why I included that in there, but I wanted <laughs> you to know that they was eating. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So the Alcatraz Hospital was located above the dining hall. So Alcatraz was intended for prisoners who continuously caused trouble at other federal prisons. So it would be a last resort prison. So a oh. lot of the times people weren't just sent to Alcatraz. It was people who could not behave. Solitary confinement is there what I was go. thinking of. Yes. So that that's what this basically already is, the yeah. entire prison. Right. So Transit, tr uh, whatever. So it was a last resort prison. So it okay. held the worst of the worst and had no, like the people who had no hope of rehabilitation. So in August of 1934, the first batch of 137 prisoners arrived at Alcatraz from the United States Penitentiary in Leavenworth, Kansas. So before being escorted to Alcatraz, they were handcuffed in high security coaches guarded by 60 Federal uh, Bureau of Investigation special agents. U.S. Marshals and rail, uh, railway security officials. So these people were being escorted in by like heavy duty people. So they were looked at as being very dangerous. So most of the prisoners were notorious bank robbers, counterfeiters, or murderers. So 
Alcatraz gained notoriety from its inception as the toughest prison in America, considered by many the world's most fearsome prison of the day. Former prisoners reported brutality and inhumane conditions, which severely tested their insan or their sanity. So this is not a fun place by any means. I don't think any prison in, but especially this one, honey baby. So Alcatraz was not only inescap inescapable from the inside, but if by chance someone was able to escape, they were fucking screwed. Alcatraz sat on an island. And the water surrounding the prison had super strong currents that pulled strongly out to sea, leading up to low tide. Not only that, but the water surrounding the prison hovers around 48 degrees Fahrenheit and 54 degrees Fahrenheit all year round. So fucking frigid ass water. So if by chance someone was able to escape due to the extreme water temperatures, it was almost a death sentence. So they thought. That's why we're here today. So as time went on, the prison took some damage due to storms, age, and just typical wear and mm -hmm. tear and needed some repair work, needed a little facelift. So this would be an important factor in the inmates we are going to be discussing in today's escape. So from 1934 until the prison was closed in 1963, 36 men tried 14 separate escapes. Mm -hmm. All were caught or didn't survive the attempt. That is, except for three individuals that we are going to be discussing today. So, without further ado, let's meet the escape crew. So, first up, we have the Anglin brothers, John William Anglin and his, other, uh, his younger brother, Clarence Anglin, both in their 30s at the time of the escape. The brothers were serving time for robbing a bank together. What? That's just great bonding over there. Let's Why go. Why did Clarence have a middle name? Maybe he did. I just didn't see it. So next we have Frank Morris. Frank was in his mid-30s at the time of his escape. He had been abandoned as a young child, put in foster care, and then ran away. So growing up, he was in and out of prison since he was only 13 years old. He was also serving time for robbing a bank. So these men wanted money, honey. They was robbing banks, baby. They was going to... Were they, they armed robbing these banks? Nope. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure they went in there with a the handgun or two. So the final member of the crew is Alan West at age 33 at the time of his escape. West began serving by the time he was 14 and bounced around various uh, federal prisons. He was in prison for car theft and after trying to escape multiple prisons, they were like, get the fuck out of here. He was sent to Alcatraz. Mm -hmm. So it is thought that Alan West first approached Morris with the plan to escape in the 1960s. West apparently knew of a ventilator cover above cell block B that might not be sealed over with concrete, unlike the other vents in the prison. So he was like, if we're going to get out, that's the fucking way to do it. So this uncovered vent could provide them with a way to get onto the roof of the prison from the inside. So Wes knew he had to play it smart and get in good with the workers of the prison. So what did he do? He began working with the cell house maintenance crew, which allowed him to work and gain access to areas within the prison that most couldn't get to. So this also gave him insight into the building structure, the layout, and areas of weakness. Okay. By September of 1961, the Anglin brothers, Morris and West, had all requested to move their cells that were closer to each other in cell block B, directly under the unsecured vent cover. The young men were in luck because all of their requests 
were approved. And apparently they were approved because they did act well in this prison. And they didn't think of them as somebody who would try to, you know, escape or try to, um, you know, do this, that, the other. They're like, sure. They had good behavior. They had good behavior. So they allowed them to move, which I'm like, okay. I just think it's so strange that the brothers who committed a crime together, not only are brothers, but then they're also like, so like in the same prison right. together. Like, so in terms of who was the ringleader, the de- the details are a bit murky. But one thing is for sure, the plan that the four men would execute uh, execute was undoubtedly bold and courageous. They knew that if they were going to do this, like it's going to take some guts and butts and <laughs> everything in between. Okay? okay, they were like, well, what do we have to lose? We're already serving life sentences, like or lengthy sentences. Like, let's just try it and see what we can do. So that being said, let's break down their plan. So with Alcatraz, the men weren't just focused on escaping the prison walls. They also had to focus on getting to shore and avoid being captured in the process, right? Because just if they made it to shore, they still got to figure, what are they going to do once they're on shore? Like, how are they going to, you know, what if they get caught once they're on shore? What if somebody recognizes them, you know? So, and remember, the prison is surrounded by freezing cold and treacherous waters. So in order to prevent that, the men knew that they had it, they needed a head start to ensure that this plan was carefully executed. So to accomplish this, the men created painted dummy heads made from a mixture of soap, concrete, and other materials complete with human hair. They laid the heads on their beds to fool the guards. So have you seen the picture of what they look like? No. It is insane. So, um, and they looked just, and I'm going to post this on our Instagram, but look, and that's him in the bed. Oh! Doesn't that look real? So, and it was a success. Like, sure enough, on June 12th, on the morning following the escape, when the 7 a.m. bell went off to wake the prisoners, guards discovered that the escapees appeared to still be asleep in their beds, and they left the men alone just to get some extra rest. But it wasn't until one guard went into Morris's cell and pushed the head in, like, an attempt to wake him up that the head rolled away and fell to the floor. And he was like, Oh, hell no to the no, no. I think, I mean, obviously it's someone's head's not just decapitated, but they were like, um, something's wrong. So it is. There might be some like blood. Right. It is unknown who came up with the idea to create the dummy heads. However, Clarence worked as a barber within the prison. So he had access to human trimmings, which they used to help fool the guards. So after laying the dummies on their beds, the men went to work to bust out of their cells. All four men's cells had five inch by nine and a half inch ventilation grates in the back of their cells, like underneath the sinks. Mm -hmm. So because West was working with the maintenance crew, West knew that the wall surrounding the cell was less than six inches thick. So making it very possible for each man to escape their hole um, and fit through it. So the I'll show I'm going to post a photo later of the little but it's it's a very small think about a little vent. okay? that size yeah i'm just thinking of like how your shoulders would right fit. so the men started to process this months prior so due to this each of the escapees had drilled small closely spaced holes around the cover of the ventilation grates with what so with handmade tools like spoons stolen from the kitchens and a drill made from a vacuum cleaner motor because he had access to oh, cleaning right. supplies. So these holes made it possible for them to remove the entire small section of the wall around their air vents, which then uh, they kept covered 
with their bed or their blankets or even musical instruments. So you could request to have a musical instrument. Um, or they made fake covers out of cardboard, a cardboard that just blended in. Mm -hmm. So these holes allowed them to crawl through the, uh, through to a utility corridor located directly behind their cells that was typically left unguarded because, I mean, the guards didn't think that people would be able to get back there. So from there, they were able to climb up to a hidden landing area directly above their cell block where they had been working in secret for several months. No one was uh, suspected a damn thing. So some or all of the escapees had been given permission at some point to do maintenance work on this landing area. And uh, a lot of the prisoners took up jobs throughout the prison to help pass the time, right? So in fact, to this day, you can st uh, still see where West actually completed part of the painting job if you were to do a tour of the prison today. Hmm. So apparently, West had even convinced the guards to allow him to hang blankets that concealed his work because he told them that the work was sending dust cascading down to the ground level, making it very dirty and hard to breathe. And they were like, oh, okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah, cover it up with blankets. Really, he's just covering up the work that they're doing. So in reality, like I said, just covering up everything that they were doing. Again, they did not suspect a thing. They thought these men were doing, they're like, damn, they're really helping us out here. Yeah, go for it. Oh, Keep going. God. So um, like I said, this helped conceal the escapee's secret workshop. They even built and used a periscope to take turns as lookouts. In the workshop, they were able to build the four dummies, the tools that they made to break free, and other items they'd used to escape the prison. Now, sadly, all that hard work that the four guys put in failed for one of them. On the night of the escape, West never made it to the landing spot due to the fact that he was unable to break through the last portion of the wall surrounding, so basically he got stuck. Because of this, West was left behind can you imagine you you go and you get betrayed by the booty the booty gets and you're like ah! that's why he couldn't make it out it wasn't big enough everybody else squeezed through and his little his body did not make it through oh my god so i mean obviously the guys aren't gonna be like you know what we'll hold back they're like sorry no. sorry fool so from the landing area now there's three guys the ceiling was uh about 30 feet directly overhead and the men were able to climb on the ceiling using their pipes the pipes to reach the air vent that they had previously pried off in preparation for their escape. Okay. So experts that have studied this case believe that a sound was heard at 10.30 p.m. and they believe it to be the sound of the air vent cover being pushed off of the roof. And this marks the appro approximate time that the escapees would have reached the roof. Who heard the sound? Um, like other prisoners and guards within the prison. But they like did... in one area? Right, or just... above okay. cell block uh, B. So now the group of three then climbed down from the roof via another pipe in the back of the cell block and climbed over a 15 foot fence. Once outside of the prison, they made their way to the north shore of the island. So I'm sure you're thinking, now what? Did they swim? What did they do? Because as you know, the escape is not over due to the prison being on a private island. So now they had to deal with the waters to get to freedom. So the escapees were prepared, obviously. So in their workshop, the inmates had built life preservers by uh, in a six by 14 foot rubber raft. 
all made from the raincoats the prison had given them over time. So over time, they had gathered over 50 raincoats for the job, stitching them together using sewing machines in the clothing or glove shops within the prison. The men even melted the rubber raincoats by holding the uh, seams to the heat of a steam pipe that would melt them together and bind one big life raft. The raft was inflated using a converted musical instrument that would be ordered by Morris back in April. The prisoners were allowed access to books and instruments, so they, if they wanted to play one, they could. But, like, I would be livid if my cellmate ordered a tuba and just started playing in the middle of the night. I'd have been like, shut the hell up or we're going to be in prison for murder. Shut up. Well, not only that, but it's like, I'm surprised they would let them do that. I don't think that is allowed nowadays, but... These prisoners were allowed access to those things, so Morris ordered an or a instrument back in the day, and they used that to blow it up. So the plan was to sail across San Francisco Bay in their raft all the way to Angel Island, which is about two miles north of Alcatraz Island. From there, they would sail again, this time across um, another strait of water about a half mile wide, which would then bring them to the mainland to freedom. There, they they had planned to steal a car as well as clothing because, you know, criminals. All of these details were reported by Wes, the one that did not make it out and would later inform the uh, FBI about all of this. So I'm sure you're thinking, well, if we don't know where these guys are today, how do we know all of this? Because he later came out and gave them this information. So once the men were discovered missing, Alcatraz went into emergency lockdown and a search began. Guards uh, quickly found the secret workshop the hole in the ceiling, the footprints on the roof, and the bottom um, that they climbed down. The FBI joined the case, as would the Coast Guard the, and the Bureau of Prison Authorities. So it would be a wide-scale search. The escapees, as well as their raft, were never seen again. Even though we know the three men made it out of Alcatraz Island, what happened to the three men after that is what remains the mystery of today's case. So... Let's get into some of the theories as to what happened to these men. So obviously, theory number one is that the men died on the journey over to the mainland. Right. So like mentioned, the waters are known for being frigid as fuck. And there is a strong current that could have worked against the escapees. Experts point out that the trio's goal of taking the raft north to Angel Island would have been extremely difficult at this time of the year, especially given that they had paddles but no rudder, which is used to stabilize the raft. Oh, okay. So additionally, they had a reenactment performed, and it was uh, carried out by Dutch scientists, and the results were not good. So they built a very similar raft using the same things that they used um, in one of the... Oh, sorry. And the results found that the two men would have to work to keep the raft inflated, leaving only one to paddle, which it quickly was just a hot fucking mess. The thing mm -hmm. just like sank. Did they die? No. I mean, this was just a reenactment. Oh, okay. So the weather at this time of the escape would have been about 47 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. And the water, they said, was around 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So if the raft had sunk or the men had to go overboard into the water, they probably would have only lasted around two hours before starting to lose consciousness due to hypothermia. And it was in the middle of the night. So their vision would have been, you know, a little off as to where the land was. Oh so God, to add to, oh, I know, right? So to add to the, oh, and that's another thing. In this strait of water is what they called it. There's a shit ton of sharks. Stop. A shite ton. 
A shark ton. A shark ton. So to add to this theory of them not surviving, on June 12th, bits of wood resembling a handmade paddle were found in the water near Angel Island. The pieces were identified as belonging to the escapees because they were parts of the gel. On June 14th, bags made from raincoats were found halfway between Alcatraz and Angel Island. These bags contained evidence that they had belonged to the escapees. So in it were like photos of the uh, victims' families, uh, a piece of paper that they had written um, to a family member, um, nine pieces of papers with list of people's names and their contact information for when they made it over. But unfortunately, this was all seen on shore. Okay. So many point to these personal items as evidence that the journey was not a success. So on June 15th, a homemade life vest was found floating near Cronkite Beach. So a second life vest was later discovered on June 22nd, no more than 100 yards from the eastern coast of Alcatraz Island. So to end this theory out, the FBI states that they never found any credible evidence either in the U.S. or abroad that the man lived. In mid-July 1962, about six weeks after the escape, a Norwegian shipping freighter, the USS Norgel, spotted a body in the ocean about 20 miles away from the Golden Gate Bridge. However, when he noticed this, he did not report the sighting until later, and when the search and rescue team went out, obviously the body was not there still. <laughs> so it was never recovered or identified. So theory number two, the escapees survive. Now, this is some pretty fucking cool evidence. So Morris and the Anglin brothers had a raft to help them navigate the waters, which people have successfully been able to swim before without the benefit of a raft or a life jacket. And here's why. So a triathlon is held each year in which participants complete a mile and a half swim in the same, same waters and around the same time of the year that the escape occurred. Participants do say that the current choppy waters and wind are major factors to contend and like makes it very difficult, but it is doable. So according to Jeff Harp, a security analyst for the CBS San Francisco who worked with the FBI for over 20 years and goes on swims in the San Francisco Bay regularly, says he doesn't know of any contestants in the triathlon who haven't been able to complete the swim. But you know what I say to that? They're trained athletes. They're trained and they have those like um, wetsuits on that like mm -hmm. keep them warm. So, I mean, yeah, I, that wasn't uh, accessible to these guys. Right. So furthermore, people have died in these waters and most of the bodies of those who drown in the bay will float up after a few days. However, despite extensive searches, the fugitives bodies were never found. We said there were a lot of sharks. Mm -hmm. They they could have been eaten. So U.S. Marshal Michael Dyke has run a, stimula uh, a simulation with help from the Coast Guard th uh, that determined that the escapees could have survived in the water for two and a half hours at least if the uh, raft plan itself like did not How long work. is it supposed to take them to get to the island? Two and a half. It's a long time. I know. So the same Dutch scientist who carried out the reenactment of the escape that I mentioned prior... Mm -hmm also created a computer model that could uh, recreate the conditions of the water on the night of the escape. The model found that there was a very narrow window between 11.30 p.m. and midnight in which the water was very calm. So, which, if the trio was in the water that time, could have allowed for them to get someplace, I guess, halfway safe. 
And since the inmates had made it to the roof by 1030, they thought that that window might have been when they were out there. Though even then, they would have had to let the currents carry them to Horseshoe Bay, which is northeast of the Golden Gate Bridge, rather than trying to get to Angel Island. The model also suggested that the items left at the shoreline near Horseshoe Bay would drift back towards Angel Island, where some of the escapees' items were recovered once the tide uh, reversed. So... I don't know about that. So while the Dutch scientists' real-life recreation of the escapees did not work, as they were unable to withstand the currents and bring the the raft to land, they still got fairly close to the Golden Gate Bridge in little over an hour. So their model did show that they could at least get to the Golden Gate Bridge. So they still believed the escapees might have been able to pull it off, given the rush of adrenaline and the need and the want to survive. So the next bit of evidence that they did survive was that David Winder, the nephew of the England brothers, came forward and said that his uncle Robert, one of John and Clarence's older brothers, confessed on his deathbed to his sisters, quote, that they didn't have to worry about their brothers, that he had been in touch with them and they are okay, end quote. So Widener added that his grandmother, who had been John and Clarence England's mother, would sometimes receive roses with her son's signature on the card following the escape. Multiple family members of John and Clarence England have claimed that over the years at family funerals that they have noticed mysterious women figures wearing bells covering their faces and heavy makeup, which could have been uh, the England brothers undercover, like, coming just to pay the respects i'm like girl they're no they're not dressed as drag queens they don't need to like if i think they're dead right so in a 2013 letter that was obtained by the cbs san francisco it said quote my name is john england i escaped from the alcatraz in 1962 yes we all made it out that night but barely end quote in 2015, a History Channel show claimed that the photo there was a photo taken of two men in Brazil 13 years after the escape, and it looked just like John and Clarence England, and they were both alive and well. The photographer or the photograph came from Fred Britzy, a childhood friend of the England brothers, who turned it over to the family sometime in the 1990s. So his story is that he was on a trip in Brazil when he happened to run into John and Clarence at a bar. I'm like, you all the way in Brazil, and somehow you ran across your friends that have been missing? Hmm. Many in the Anglin family have held on to the belief that John and Clarence survived the escape. They also believe that the photo of the two in Brazil is 100% John and Clarence. Several experts that are involved in the photo identity, so several experts that do test on photo identity, concluded that the photo did show the Anglin brothers. However, once the U.S. Marshals got um, word of this, they investigated the claim. Their experts did not believe that the photos depicted John and Clarence. However, they acknowledged that a solid determination isn't really possible given the age, wear and tear on the photo, and the fact that the men in the photo were wearing sunglasses. So that sums all that up. So After being closed in 1963 as a prison, Alcatraz has been reopened as a public museum and is one of San Francisco's major tourist attractions, attracting some 1.5 million visitors annually. So 
I am going to end on a little spooky note, okay? So as you know, Alcatraz Island and the prison have been home for to very um, infamous gangsters, hardened criminals, and you know what else, baby girl? Girl. <laughs> Girls! Baby girl, ghost. So there's ghosts running rampant up in this motherfucker. So the prison is rumored to be haunted by the people imprisoned within its cells. So people have reported feeling loss um, of freedom, fear, regret, anger. Um, a lot of people have thrown up during tours. I've read that. Yeah. I had horrible, horrible headaches. Some people have had to leave tours. Um, so one of the most feared entities within the prison is what many people refer to as the thing. The thing has glowing eyes. Nope. It's tall, dark, not handsome, and haunts the hallways of the prison. There have been reports of disembodied voices, putrid smells, sobbing, and banging of metals on the door. So being a high-security prison, which house dangerous criminals, anger, grief, and death aren't strangers to Alcatraz by any means. So a guard reported that there was a figure haunting cell block D, which remember that's like where the yeah. hard criminals go. The apparition had been seen numerous times and several people had claimed to have been attacked by it um, and all mentioned the glowing eyes. Mm. On one occasion, a prisoner screamed and claimed he was being attacked throughout the night. The guards ignored him thinking he was hallucinating or just trying to aggravate them. So after screaming from some hours in the night, he finally went silent. When the guards opened the cell the next morning, they found the man dead and there were visible handprints on his throat where he had been brutally attacked. Mm -hmm. But he was in his cell by himself. So psychics that have visited the prison had reported cold spots, sudden emotional outbursts while in the building, apparitions that claimed that they had been abused, and other traces that point to ghosts and spirits within the prison. So the American gangster Al Capone lived some of his later years in Alcatraz. He reported and mentioned often that he lived in fear of a ghost named Jimmy throughout his time incarcerated there. Whether it was his deteriorating mental state or a real haunting, nobody knows. To end, many have reported being visited by Al Capone himself, who was said to haunt the shower area. <gasps> little nasty oh. and he would often play his banjo in peace away from other prisoners okay i'm here to haunt these <laughs> <laughs> but to this day you can still go to the prison i think that they personally died so do i although i want i feel like if you go through all that shit if you make it out alive good job you need to, you deserve to survive, but uh, I, not if they were murderers. Well, they weren't, they were bank robbers. They just wanted money, honey. Uh, but yeah, I think that they personally perished, but it's, it's a cool mystery. Yeah. So not for sure. It's wild. All right. Well, that is the end of our 30 minute manor mystery till next week. Bye. Bye booty tooties.